Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So you've been scrambling around all day. You're getting ready for your uh, your big trip to Albuquerque, going out for a friend's wedding. You look exasperated. What's the matter? <laughs> no, I'm very excited. It's just I'm short, you know. And uh, on funds or well, that too, but uh, <laughs> no, I just um, the I've got almost everything ready. The only thing that I have left is uh, I have to alter that that little outfit that I bought. Well, little, little outfit little you got. Outfit. Yeah, what is that called? It's a romper, and it's my first romper ever. Normally, I've shied away, but um, it's very cute, and I am too short. So I have to have it altered, and I just, I don't know where to take See, it. See, you say you're too short. I say the romper's too long. That's, that's, you're the perfect height. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, no. Why, so uh, why, why haven't you taken it in yet? I mean, time's running out. Oh, that weird Taylor guy. <laughs> yeah, no. I need to find a new place where I can... Where I can take my stuff to get tailored. It's just... Uh... Oh, tell that story. Mm. All right. Here's the tale. Many a year ago, I went through a very painful breakup, and I lost a lot of weight through stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I, through that time, obviously bought clothes. They were great. I loved them. But as I got healthy again and... Uh, into nachos again (laughs) i needed to get a pair of my jeans fixed because the zipper had broken yeah so i went into this place that i had gone many many times to have various things done buttons sewn hems 
trimmed. This is a, a little tailor who has a shop on the corner. It's it's really kind of old-fashioned in a way. And it was great. But then I went in with these pants and I said, I just need a zipper done. He only charged $7. It was amazing. And I was like, great. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday. So I came back on Tuesday and he was like $7. I paid him and he said they came out great. And he held them up and looked at me and he said, but it's not going to matter if you keep getting fatter. (laughs) My God, what kind of a business strategy is that on his part? And I said, yeah, well, I've got some more pants for you to fix. (laughs) How about you just... You just do you, sir. I'm going to keep me some nachos. I, I have a feeling he that's probably the only person that does him is him. Yeah, that's probably true, yeah. too. He's a strange little guy. He, he never makes eye contact. Yeah. He doesn't look at you. Well, that I get. I have a hard time with eye contact with strangers, for sure. So, I, you know, that's I get that. I do not understand. Twice he peeked in on me when I was changing clothes just to see how things were going. And uh, I was like, dude, don't just, you know, mm-hmm. keep that curtain closed. Cool. And then he did it again. I was like, I understand that you're a tailor. And so you feel like this is okay and appropriate, but it's 100% not okay and appropriate. Also, just fix my zipper. Just mend my trousers, tailor boy. (laughs) I don't need your commentary on my taco intake. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm still dealing with this allergy thing and I've got to get ready for Steph's wedding and... I gotta have that romper altered. You wanna wear one of my rompers? That's called a onesie. Oh. It's cute, but it's not appropriate for an Albuquerque wedding. It's got bears on it. (laughs) Cowboys. The Box of Oddities. Again, thanks. Uh, We want to thank the folks at CastBox for letting us in. That was nice of them. And we were talking about Matt in the last episode, and he works at CastBox, and he's pretty hot. But we didn't mention Lucy. That's right. Also very attractive. Yes. And she's just been great. All those guys at CastBox have been really great and really made us feel welcome and we appreciate it. And we got a message asking about Matt. And yes, the answer is yes, he is single. All right, you go first this week. Do I? Yes, you go first. You Um, go first. You go first. Go first. It's a little song I wrote. I love it. It's called You Go First. I think what I'm going to do, though, is not go first. Oh, you don't want to go first? I think my topic, I think, is light and fun and refreshing. So you want me to do the dark and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think you should do your shit show first. <laughs> okay. And then uh, and then I'll top it off with a, like a nice like a nice whipped cream. Whipped cream, even though I don't like whipped cream. Why, I, why would I use that as an example? With a nice Frank's Red Hot. That doesn't imply light and refreshing at all. Give it up. Damn it. This email came in a couple of uh, weeks ago. It says, hey, Kat and Jethro, your podcast is refreshingly original and hilarious and keeps me going while I finish year five of my PhD. My puppy and I appreciate your show greatly and uh, are, are pumped that it's now twice a week. Thanks for all you do. I thought of your show when I found this 1846 newspaper account from the perspective of a white physician encountering a slave who claimed to be dead. Joe, the aforementioned slave, told the doctor if they did not bury him, he was going to start rotting. And then he even sent a final goodbye to his mother. This account was written about 50 years after a French doctor first named this delusion of thinking one is deceased 
And as far as I found, uh, has never been dis- this particular episode has never been discussed outside this original newspaper article. Uh, it's one of several creepy antebellum archival documents that I found while researching my dissertation, and hope you enjoy this bizarre short tale for the podcast or otherwise. The newspaper clipping is attached below. And that is from Chelsea, who says, keep flying that freak flag. That's so cool. It makes me think of zombies. Yep. And uh, that's what we're getting to. Uh, this, As I read this, please remember that this was written May 20th, 1846 by a white dude in South Carolina. Ah. Uh. It says... Joe, a young Negro of about twenty years of age, possessing an average degree of intelligence, and having enjoyed good health up to the time when he was attacked with this illness, which threw him into the remarkable condition in which I found him, resided on a plantation in the neighborhood of Charleston. And this comes from the Southern Journal of Medicine and Pharmacy, from again, 1846. And it goes on to describe how Joe was convinced that he was dead. And nobody could convince him otherwise. He kept uh, asking people to smell him. And then he would start composing a goodbye to his uh, his mother and wanted to gather people around him to mm-hmm. escort him to the graveyard. He, there was nothing they could do to convince him that he was not dead. Yeah, that sounds a lot like the last time I got high. When I was in, when I was in my young, young days. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, this is called Cotard Delusion. It's a rare mental illness. Oh, it's also called Walking Corpse Syndrome. More appropriate. It's a a rare mental illness in which the affected person holds the delusional belief that they are already dead, according to Wikipedia. That they do not exist, they are putrefying, or have lost their blood and internal organs. Now, that case happened in uh, the early 1800s, but it still happens. Now, no. You go ahead because you might answer my question. Why don't you ask it and then I'll answer it. So are they scared? I mean, are they upset about having died or are they just upset that no one believes them? That's a great question. Thank you. They do not understand why people don't believe them, but they're not upset about it. In fact, the only thing that they seem perturbed about is that people will not bury them before they start smelling bad. All right. All right. I mean, I get that. I can imagine that... It would be like any other situation, especially for like me. If I thought I was dead mm-hmm. and I was telling you I've died mm-hmm. and I need to be buried. Sure. And you were like, you're not dead. I would be like, first of all, don't tell me what I am and what I am not. And right. secondly, I'm not going to smell for the neighbors. And you'd be like, listen, babe, you're not dead. And I'd be like, oh, my God, you never listen to me. For the love of God, will you just embalm me? That's all I'm asking. Now, according to Mental Floss, in 2008, New York psychiatrists reported on a 53-year-old patient, a a Ms. Lee, who uh, complained that she was dead and smelled like rotting flesh. She asked her family to take her to the morgue so she could be with other dead people. That's another symptom. They want to hang around with other other dead people. Mm -hmm. Uh, They dialed 911 instead, and she was admitted to the psychiatric unit, where she accused paramedics of trying to burn her house down. After a month or so, month or so of, a, of a drug regimen, uh, she was released with greatly improved symptoms, but they were still there. In 2012, Japanese doctors described a 69-year-old patient who declared to one of the doctors, I guess I'm dead. I'd like to ask for your opinion. 
Uh, when the doctor asked him whether uh, a dead man could speak, the patient recognized that his condition defied logic, but could not shake his conviction that he was, in fact, deceased. So it was like a, oh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Well, I don't know how it works, but I am dead. Yeah, and then a, a year later, his delusions passed. Uh, he recognized what was going on, but he insisted on the truth of what happened during it. He said, quote, now I am alive, but I was once dead at that time. So even though he recognized that he wasn't dead at that moment, he still believed that he had died previously. Sure. The same doctor also treated a 46-year-old woman who claimed to have not eaten nor gone to the bathroom in months, nor had she slept in years. She explained that all of her organs had rotted and that she had no blood and that doctors who monitored her heart and took her blood pressure were deceiving her because her heart did not beat. After about 10 months of, uh, of medication, her, her condition gradually improved. But, I mean... If she was being monitored, you could just like point behind her and go, look, that that poop just came out of you. Yeah. See, it wasn't there before. And now yeah. it's out of your butt. That's where that came from. <laughs> look at ma'am. That's yours. Ma'am. I don't know. Pointing out somebody's bowel movement, I don't think would really prove to a person in that state of mind that they, that they were alive. They they might think, well, I'm I'm just excreting my organs but or she's something. she's the one who said that she hadn't pooped. That is true. She said she had not pooped. So maybe uh, your poop chart would have come in handy. Somehow, I didn't see that coming. Now, here's an article from uh, Daily Mail in the UK. 17-year-old high school student. She's actually, uh, she's from Alabama, and she suffered from uh, Cotard syndrome, in 2008, she, this is how she described it. She's better now. My parents had just divorced, and I didn't cope with it well. Uh, then one day, I was sitting in an English class, and I had this really weird sensation that I was dead, and I couldn't shake it. She went to see the school nurse, who was baffled, could not find anything wrong with her. She went on to say, as I walked home, I thought about visiting a graveyard just to be close to others who were also dead. But because there wasn't one nearby, I went straight back to my house and tried to sleep it off. It seemed to, to work, but after a few days, she said that macabre sense began to creep back in again. I was out shopping when uh, the sudden feeling returned. My whole body went numb. I dropped all the dresses I was holding and ran out of the shop. I felt like I was going mad. This time, it didn't go away. She said she couldn't control her thoughts. All She'd fantasize about having picnics in graveyards and spend a lot of time watching old horror movies, especially zombie movies, because they made her feel relaxed like she was hanging out with family. It's so strange. Isn't that strange? That's what I just said. Yeah, but isn't it strange? She said, I decided to eat whatever I wanted because I couldn't put on weight if I was dead. Valid. So bring out the haagen -Dazs. She stopped talking to her friends. That's when they started suspecting, you know, there's something not right. Not right. Eventually, in despair, she spoke to one of her friends about the situation and said, I, I thought that he'd think I was a freak, but he just nodded and listened. It gave me the confidence to tell my dad. And her father, Floyd, urged her to, uh, to go see a psychiatrist. But it was still, it was like two years before she finally found the courage to go see a psychiatrist. Wow. So for two years, she suffered with this walking corpse syndrome. So you, like, how do you live? I mean, you don't go to work when you're a corpse. Right. 
Do you shower? No. Why would you? That's one of the one of the uh, symptoms is that personal hygiene just goes right out the window. Right. I mean, you're already dead. What's the point if you're rotting? And that wasn't long ago at all. And it and there are more recent cases. This is one I found most fascinating because she really went into detail as to what it was like from her perspective. Sure. She said it was ma- amazing that she found out that it was a real illness. Quote, I went online and found stories from other people who suffered from it. They wanted to spend time in graveyards, too. And that made her feel a lot better knowing that, you know, she wasn't alone. Would the all the people who thought they were dead hanging out feel like hanging out with people who were dead? I mean, would that satisfy that urge? Like if they had a chat room? I don't see why that wouldn't work. Maybe a, like a face-to-face support group wouldn't work quite so well because they may not recognize the other person as being dead because they're not. That's a great question. But you know what really snapped her out of it? Watching Disney films. Really? Yep. She said that was when she started to feel well again. Watching Disney films, quote, gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling. The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Sleeping Beauty. I just watched them all. I asked my boyfriend, how can I be dead when Disney makes me feel this good? Wait, she had a boyfriend? Yes. His name was Jeremy. Like after two years of thinking she was dead? Yep. Jeremy, you're an angel. She said, Jeremy helped me so much, so did Disney, and we're hoping to get married and get jobs at Disney World. Then she added, being a corpse was the most bizarre experience, but I'm glad I managed to get out alive. (laughs) That's hilarious. And her name is Haley Smith. It's a brave young lady. Go through all of that at that age and be willing to, to talk about it like that. So good on her. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's pretty great that the Disney movies helped her find, you know, that warm, fuzzy place again and make her, made her want to live yeah. and, and not be a corpse. Ironically, though, when I last visited Disney World, I went on It's a Small World, and that song made it made me wish I was dead. And now it's going to be stuck in my head just for thinking about it. Here, I'll help. You'll bring honor to us all. That's much better. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. So on Thursday on The Thing in the Middle, we try to do something a little bit different, and uh, I think you're going to like this one. Emotions you felt but couldn't explain. This is from the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which is the brainchild of writer John Koenig. Uh, Just a few select words that, that we found interesting. Neologism. Noun. A relatively recent or isolated term, word, or phrase that may be in the process of entering common use, but that has not yet been fully accepted into mainstream language. Onism. Noun. The frustration of being stuck in just one body that inhabits only one place at a time, which is like standing in front of the departure screen at an airport, flickering over with strange place names, like other people's passwords each representing one more thing you'll never get to see before you die. Ambido, noun, a kind of melancholic trance in which you become completely absorbed in vivid sensory details. Raindrops skittering down a window, tall trees leaning in the wind, clouds of cream swirling in your coffee, briefly soaking in the experience of being alive, an act that is done purely for its own sake. Quibico, noun, A state of exhaustion inspired by acts of senseless violence, which force you to revise your image of what can happen in this world, mending the fences of your expectations, weeding out all unwelcome and invasive truths, 
cultivating the perennial good that's buried under the surface, and propping yourself up like an old scarecrow who's bursting at the seams but powerless to do anything but stand there and watch. Hanker sore. Adjective. Finding a person so attractive it actually kinda pisses you off. Big thanks to our friend Mandy for voicing that for us. Well, Love you. Yep. You do good. You do good word talk times. You do good word talk times. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for me this episode? hope it's a pony. This is not necessarily something that in the beginning of the box of oddities I would have read and thought this is a good idea for a topic because it was just it could be just something that you it could be really short but it's not because the details of what goes on in this situation are magical and let me lead you through a wonderland of rotting fish and sparkles rotting fish and sparkles i'm in lee bull is a contemporary sculpture and installation artist who appeared on the art scene in the late 1980s her work questions marginalization of women by revealing ideologies that permeate our culture Um, she focuses on um, political spheres that encourage uh, negative attitudes towards females She was born in 1964 in South Korea. She studied sculpture at Hongik University in Seoul and graduated in the late 80s. She's done solo exhibits worldwide, including Live Forever, which toured the Museum of Contemporary Art in New York and the Power Plant in Toronto. She was selected as a finalist for the 1998 Hugo Boss Prize by the Guggenheim wow. in New York. She's a big deal. And in January of 1997, an art installation of hers called Majestic Splendor at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City caused some problems and was eventually removed. The art project was dozens of small transparent bags fixed to a wall. And each of these contained a rotting fish decorated with stitched on sequins and beads. Some had decorative flowers um, or or other such flair. Bling. Bling is a good word to use. She's bedazzling dead seafood. That's exactly it. Uh, It was a commentary on the fleeting nature of beauty for highly ornamented women. Hmm. And um, after a custom-designed refrigeration unit for that installation failed, the smell, which as you can imagine, got pretty intense. Where was this being exhibited? The Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Oh my God! The smell was so awful that museum officials nixed the display and removed it. They had to introduce some sort of odor-reducing chemical afterwards to the um, installation because the smell was really an issue. They didn't just hang a bunch of those little pine tree car fresheners like those next black, to each fin. Yes, the black ice. Just hang it on the dorsal fin. <laughs> So the chemical is called potassium permanganate. 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 It sounds like a delicious Italian dessert. So as fish decay, they emit compounds of carbon, hydrogen, and nitrogen, which produce odors that are intensely powerful and distinctively fishy. But these components 
aren't just smelly. They're also potentially explosive. So certain molecular bonds connecting hydrogen and carbon can release a lot of energy when they're vaporized. In gasoline, high energy bonds in hydrocarbon molecules give the fuel its kick. That's what makes it flammable. Is, is this the reason why you hear stories about whales that wash up on the seashore? That's exactly, yes. Wait. I mentioned that later on. Oh, Sorry. No, no. It's that's. It was just to make my point. That's what happens when when beached whales die and start to decompose. Things they blow up. They blow up in a little tiny marine bits. It's not nice. It's raining blubber. Hallelujah. It's raining blubber. Amen. Similar energy reserves lurk in the molecule bonds of hydrogen and carbon carbon <laughs> carbon compounds. Which, like you said, can produce an explosion. So cut to May 2018. All right. The installation, Majestic Splendor, was part of an exhibit scheduled to open at the Hayward Gallery. Wait, wait, wait. It had been in the New York Museum of Art all those years? No, they took it down. Okay, they took it down. It had been in other places. Okay. After they added that, that chemical component. I see. To keep the, the stank right. down. Now I'm, now I'm with you. Go. Okay. So, rotting fish, mm -hmm. stinky pants, mm -hmm. chemical component, yep. rotting fish is art again. Yep. Now, coming to the Hayward Gallery on May 30th. The exhibit wasn't open to the public yet. Gallery officials had already decided to remove Majestic Splendor from the show for safety reasons. So, they're getting ready to, to launch this exhibit and then they're doing some research and they discover that those chemicals that had been added to the fish's bags to dampen their smell could become flammable when combined with gases released by the decomposing flesh. Oh, no. So they were like, okay, we're, we're nixing this all together. So they had um, art handlers come in and they were taking down the art as a precaution. So, you know, this wouldn't be an issue. They did not do it quickly enough. No. Suddenly. Yeah. Terribly. Yeah. The art installation combusted. Yes! It exploded. Did people stand around? This is excellent. This is lovely. This speaks to me. It screams, holy crap, it's raining decomposing fish flesh. <laughs> so it's possible that the compounds produced by the putrefying fish interacted with that chemical um, but it's also possible that the explosion was just caused by pressure buildup from trapped gases that had nowhere to go. Exactly what you just brought up was mm -hmm. the, the whales thing. Yeah, that's the gases get trapped. There's explosion. So these this fish uh, art exploded and burst into flames. I wish I had seen that. It's not just rotting fish. It's also sparkles. It's sequins. It's little tiny baby feathers. It's all kinds of juxtapositional imagery <laughs> flying through the air uh -huh. with a fire behind it yeah so you've got you got sparkles and you got feathers yeah it's like someone smashed open a pinata that had been filled with the contents of a stripper's purse and haggis <laughs> i love the word haggis it's a good one let's say it together haggis, haggis. love touch over the microphone 
So after the gallery incident, firefighters quickly put out the blaze. There was a security guard who was treated for smoke inhalation, um, and I don't think that's the only thing he inhaled, and so I feel very oh. bad for that man, but can he's you, okay now. Can you imagine going home, being that guy going home and trying to explain to your wife, you know, why you're covered in burned feathers and smell like rotting fish? There's no way she's going to believe what he says. There's but, nothing he can say. Yeah, but what... What would she think? Like, you were just at the grossest strip club ever. <laughs> like, no, I don't think. No. I think no. you'd believe it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's just so outrageous. It has to be true. Damage to the Hayward Gallery from the fire was superficial. It was contained in one section of the exhibit space. And the exhibit, titled Crashing, will run through August 19th, minus the fierce and filigreed fishy fair Ooh, that was nicely put it's alliteration baby you're the alliteration queen young and sweet two times 17 it's <laughs> <laughs> about Wait, right yeah is it yeah yeah not bad yeah, pretty good math is your friend today mm. i wish that they would purposely make art displays that would burst into flame um that I could go see. I would like to see that. I would just wear uh, one of my fire retardant suits. We could just have a fire. Yeah, we could do that too. It's a plan. Twice a week, baby. I've said baby twice now. Twice a week. You almost said it three times, didn't you? No. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for being part of our tribe, you freak. Keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. Proudly. Let it wave. Proudly. I don't know, I feel like I'm about to burst into song. You look like you're about to burst into song. Nah, no, I changed my mind. Boo. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories, stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Okay. <clears throat> if you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.